Welcome to War Stories from the Womb. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. I'm a writer and an economist and the mother of two girls. Today, we pick up the second half of Melissa's story. At the end of last week's episode, Melissa was on bed rest. She had to leave her job and be home with a four-year-old and a husband who worked full-time in a town in which she didn't have a strong support network because she moved there relatively recently. To remind us where she was emotionally, I'm going to share an excerpt from Melissa's writing. This is a sneak preview of her book. In this excerpt, she's describing the experience of being told about the prospect of a too early birth. She writes, I was in preterm labor. The office was located within the Women and Babies Hospital, so they took me down on a gurney to the hospital emergency room and started the admissions process. My time in the ER was a blur. I have very little memory of that time as I was in shock. I changed into a hospital gown and my husband called his ex-wife to come pick up Tommy. IVs were inserted and countless nurses and aides were getting me situated and asking what felt like a million questions. I was in a daze. At one point, they informed me that they needed to begin administering a series of steroid shots to give the baby's lungs a boost in case I delivered that night. I would remain in the hospital while I received a series of shots that included steroids and several other medications designed to stop the labor. She told me that the treatment would feel pretty awful, but we needed to stop the labor because the survival rate at 26 weeks was only 50%. How was this happening? I was still in the second trimester, for goodness sakes. What did I do to deserve so much loss in my life? Once again, I felt like my life was falling apart and I didn't have my mom. I prayed my little heart out and every few hours I gave thanks that I was still pregnant and the baby was still alive and growing. The hours crept by and another shot was administered. Hours turned into days and my pregnancy continued. It was at this point in the hospital when the shock and terror of it all began to abate that all of the other factors I needed to deal with came crashing down. It was at this moment that I began to feel the full impact of becoming a mom without having the assistance of my own mom. It was it was really tough. And again, this was a, a time when I really wished I had sisters and a mother. And my my aunt, God bless her, lived in a different state, but she was there for emotional support. My my dad lived, you know, in a different state as well, so he wasn't any help. Uh, I mean, other than emotional help, but he's still a dad. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's different. It's different. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So this sounds like way too much for one person to bear. Yeah, it, it was, it, it was a lot. It, it was a lot, but you know, thankfully we, we got to 36 weeks. Wow. And, yeah. And I went in and they're like, Okay. Because I had gone in and, you know, an uptick in the contractions. They're like, you're at 36 weeks at this point. We're not going to stop it. So if you, if you deliver, you deliver. Okay. That's exciting. <laughs> you know, well, I didn't deliver. And Wait, so, so it was home. 10, it was 10 weeks between finding the issue and yeah, that's a long time. So 10 weeks on, on absolute best. Yep. And, and in and out of uh, you know, the hospital, more shots and checks and all that. And what, what, it, what year is this? This was 2010. Okay. So not, I'm imagining there's less for you to do from your bed than there is. Oh now. yeah. There was no, yeah. There was no, you know, zoom and yeah. yeah. And you know, I couldn't work. Whereas now, you know, I can yeah, work yeah, yeah. if I need to. I mean, yeah, yeah it was, yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was definitely not like it is now. And so 
Yeah. So 36 weeks. Wow. I'd be like, okay, you're off bed rest. Let, try and get moving. We need to build your strength up. So, so here I am like, okay, I've been in bed for 10 weeks and yes. now I need to start moving. But it felt like the world opened up. I went outside. The Halloween was that week. So we took my, my oldest trick-or-treating. And then of course the contractions went up. So that night we went again to the hospital and they sent us home <laughs> and I made it to 37 weeks. Wow. And are you, yeah. are you appreciating the irony of being sent home at 36 weeks with contractions? Yes. Oh, I was, I was, I was like, okay, this is great. Well, the funny thing is Paulette, this is hilarious. We, we still joke about this. So Halloween night, they sent us home. It was like 2 a.m. And we get stopped. Um, there was a DUI checkpoint, right? And so they stop us. We're like, where are you going? And my husband's like, home. Well, where have you been? Have you been drinking, sir? You know? And he's like, no, I, I don't drink. You know, he's 30 years clean and sober. He's like, no, I don't drink. Where are you coming from? Women's and babies. My wife was in labor. And then, you know, the two officers shine their light right on my belly. It was hilarious. We're like, okay. Have a good night. And they just let us go. <laughs> it was, and we laughed because it was just like in unison, right? Right to my belly. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, a very legit costume, it sounds like. Yes, yes. So 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 then we go in and, and at that point we were going in every day just because I did. they would become stronger, they would become, you know, scheduled. And and at this point, I was like, I don't know what to do. I was four centimeters dilated for about a week. Wow. Yeah. So, and my husband was terrified of like going, me delivering the baby while we were on our way to the hospital. So, but November 3rd, 2010, I woke up really severe pain. And I said, I think something's different. Let, let's get there. So we got there and I was still only four centimeters dilated. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, I'm going to send you over to the hospital again. And, you know, I'm on that ball, you know, and I'm doing my thing and I'm walking. And then she comes in and, and at this point, tears are running down my face. And I said to my husband, I said, I can't go home. I can't keep doing this. I, I, I don't know how it would be different uh, because remember I've, I've been having contractions for months now. Yeah. And so she comes in and she's like, you're five centimeters dilated. She goes, I promise you, we won't send you home. You're going to deliver your baby with, you know, today or tomorrow. I'm like, all right. So she left. And then literally 20 minutes later. So, so they, and, and at this part point, I'm still in like the emergency part of the labor and delivery hospital. So like, all right, we'll admit you. So they hadn't even started getting that paperwork together. And my water broke which was like, oh, okay, we're going. And she was like, all right, it'll take between five and 10 hours. At that point, I felt, and, you know, I was walking. They're like, well, do you want us to roll you to, to you know, the, your actual room? Or do you want to walk? I'm like, no, I'm going to walk. Well, at that point, I had pain like I had never imagined in my life. And it literally froze me. Like I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I couldn't. I couldn't literally, I was just stationary like a statue. And at that point in time, I thought, I can't do five hours of this because I had wanted a natural birth, you know? So once my, my husband called for help and the nurses were able to like get me onto a, a gurney and there started rolling and I was able to get the words out, um, epidural, please. I'm like, okay, we'll order that. 
So they get me into my labor room and, and I'm just like in this incredible intense pain. I could barely talk. And, you know, the, the nurse is asking all the admission questions and my husband's answering it. And I start like, like panting and pushing. She's like, Oh honey, don't start pushing yet. She's like, let me check you. I was nine centimeters. Wow. I went from five centimeters to nine centimeters in 20 minutes. I was going to so, say on the, on the walk from the ER, it sounds like. Yeah. 20 minutes. She's like, Oh, okay. Go ahead and push. You do your thing. I'm sorry, sweetheart. You cannot get an epidural. And this, this is happening right now. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, she's like, goes, but it's usually only been an hour now. And my husband's like, honey, don't worry. You can handle anything for an hour. And he was right in my head. I'm like, yeah, that's a patient, right? You know, because in my life, everything is, you know, on the hours. <laughs> so yeah. I know what an hour looks like. I'm like, yes, of course I can do this. I'm like, okay, okay. And again, can barely talk. I'm doing my thing. My husband's answering the questions. <laughs> and, and so they call the doctor back. And, and I was just very quick. So she comes back. It's been less than an hour. And she's like, oh my gosh, there, there, there he is. Here he comes. <laughs> And literally she got there in time to catch the baby. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so my, my delivery was, was only an hour. So I kind of joke my, you know, I had, I had food self pregnancy, but man, my delivery was like, like beautiful. I mean, you know, I, I didn't even have a towel at all. Like it was just, you know, all natural and everything. And, you know, it, it was just wonderful. That's so. amazing. There's something to be said for contractions that can be measured with a calendar instead of a, a stopwatch. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, and, and the thing is, is I, you know, I said to my husband, I'm, I'm glad I didn't have the epidural because there is no way I would have been doing what I was doing if I did have all that sensation in my body. Yeah. Like it I, seems like, like I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I, like I needed, I needed the sensation in my body. Like I needed, I mean, labor was hard, right? It's yeah. physically, and nobody talks about that, right? How physical it is. Like, like, you know, I've run a marathon. I know what physical strength is. And there's a lot of physical strength that goes into labor. And I don't know that I would have been able to tap into that physical strength if I didn't have you know, that, that sensation. If you couldn't feel anything. Yeah, for sure. For right. sure. It is. I think for all of us, pregnancy, every aspect of pregnancy is more physical than you imagine. Yes. And it may be that, that the language doesn't capture the visceral feeling in a way that you can, that you can feel it or that it's just not like anything else. So right. most stories about feelings are analogized. But, yes. but there's, there's nothing like pregnancy. There's nothing like birth. There's nothing like those contractions. And I remember the contractions keeping me from breathing. And I was thinking, this is a terrible system. Aren't I going to need to breathe? This is right. Um, right. And, and I was terrified because being on bed rest, I, I hadn't taken any, you know, um, delivery courses, like, like, you know, the classes. Yep. So I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. And again, back then it's not like they would do a virtual class. <laughs> And yeah, and I had broken my pelvis when I was 16. So part of me was still terrified that like that would become broken in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had all this fear going into it. And, but it, again, I was very blessed with, with a very beautiful uh, delivery. 
That's amazing. And in remind us in 2010, are they putting the baby on your chest? And yes, absolutely. Yes. And in this hospital, babies and moms were together and they had a nursery, but the nursery was only utilized if the mom requested it and they encouraged it. I was not being separated from my baby after everything I had gone through. So and his lungs were fine and he was fine. Um, he, he did not need the NICU. He uh, was definitely jaundice. So there was some, you know, a little bit of extra checking that needed to be done, but that we didn't know until a couple of years later that he had some neurological differences because of the shots that were given to stop his his delivery. He had what's called childhood apraxia of speech as well as some other conditions. So he didn't nurse. Uh, he struggled with nursing, which is a, a common uh, symptom of that disorder, but we didn't know it at the time. That isn't something that's diagnosed too much later. Is but it something to do with how his mouth moves? Is that what that? Apraxia yeah. is a dysfunction in um, movement. So the brain says move something but the nerves that connect for the body to then respond don't transmit the message very well. And, and so that's why part of why the, the nursing becomes problematic. So yes, he struggled with latching. Now I was so pigheaded and so stubborn and I really wanted to nurse. So I, we did everything we could. We, we, I got a lactation consultant and I was so determined because we needed to supplement with formula, but the more formula we supplemented with the more uncomfortable he became, like he just wasn't responding well to the formula. And so I was just really determined and, and we got the hang of it and he became a good nurser at about nine weeks. Okay. So it just took a really long time. <laughs> That's typical him. He's just a little delayed in things. He gets there, just yeah. takes a little, little longer. Well, then it sounds like it worked out that you were firm about the breastfeeding because. Yes. Yes. And I thought pregnancy was hard. Oh my goodness. Once I got to the breastfeeding, I was like, oh my God, this is even harder. Well, <laughs> if you think about it, it is coordinating so many things, almost none of which you have real control over, right? You, you can't affect milk supply. You can't affect latch, really. No. That's up no, to someone and, else. No. And, you know, nobody tells you, like, all these people are touching my breasts, right? <laughs> At this point, I was like, okay, well, it was the labor and delivery. Everyone was touching those private parts. Now everyone's yeah. touching these private parts. <laughs> I was like, okay. So it's like, all right, forget it. I'm not, you know, I became one of those women that was like, all right, I'm breastfeeding my baby and you see my breast that uh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you really lose the sense of privacy of your own body pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. And, and I guess, interestingly, you didn't really have that in labor because it went so quickly, but so many women tell the story where they're like 11 hours in, I did not care that I was naked. And like, you know, the guy with the food cart is walking through, like, right. you know, like <laughs> everyone's here. All right. You're right. I didn't have that. That's show. right. <laughs> yeah. So, so that seemed, this all seems like a triumph that you made it that far yes. in the pregnancy that, it, that the birth worked out. But you started this by talking about how you didn't have your mother around for no. kind of the hard parts. And I'm guessing it was also tricky not to have your mother there for this joyous part. That's right. I was taken so by surprise. 
You know, I envisioned this being this joyous occasion, and it was without a doubt, right? But I wasn't expecting the flood of grief that I then experienced. For quite a while, I knew I was high risk for postpartum, and I certainly experienced that. But the experience of grief that also came along, I wasn't expecting. My mom had died 11 years prior. I had, you know, experienced grief. I knew what that was like. I had gone through many adult milestones, you know, jobs, husbands, divorces, moves, you know, without my mom. But this was different. And becoming a mom, I felt so inadequate. I felt so incapable. I had no idea what I was doing, despite the fact I was a clinical psychologist and taught child development and treated women, you know, in parenting. So I had all the knowledge and I was, you know, just day shy of 38. I was pretty confident as a woman myself. And this brought me to my knees. So because I didn't realize the impact that not having a mom in my life would have. I didn't have somebody to ask questions of. I didn't have somebody to share that joy in the same way that that moms share. I didn't have somebody that could just come over and give me time for a nap or a shower, right? I couldn't call her in the middle of the night. I didn't have these things. And I didn't know what an impact not having them had on me was having. So what did I do? I just internalized it and thought there was something wrong with me. And so that's why I've become very passionate about talking about this, because I want other moms that don't have the support and guidance of a loving mom in their life to know that there isn't something wrong with them because it's hard. We all know being a mom is hard, but the reality is the uncomfortable truth is that being a mom without a mom is even harder and there isn't something wrong with you. And you're not alone. There are are literally millions of us, but again, like miscarriage, nobody's talking about it. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, that's totally true. It is, it is an unfortunate cultural oversight defect mistake to not talk about it and to not have like a ritualized practice around how to, manage that specific kind of grief. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And how to support, you know, support the women that, that need that. Yeah. So. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds like a profound thing that you went through and that you, and that you eventually understood. And are you giving talks about this or like, how do you spread your message? Well, you know, about a year ago, I made the decision to start a coaching practice focused on assisting moms without a mom. And so I have begun talking about it on podcasts. I've been doing some summits and speaking about 90% finished with the book I'm writing. And so I want to get the message out and I want to support as many moms as I can. Yeah. And that's that's why I'm yeah, and that's why I'm doing it as coaching rather than just therapy, because I've been working with moms without a mom as part of my clinical work, but I want to be able to reach a broader number of women. I think it's so valuable and I I can so see what you're saying as as a super important message. I, I remember my mom coming to visit me when the baby was really young 
and we went out maybe for our first or second walk in the in the street and it started raining and I started sobbing. The baby's getting <laughs> wet. Right. And like you need so you know, my mom looked at me like she was like, it's they, they can get wet. It's one of their tricks. <laughs> right. Like it's but but I know the feeling of helplessness as a new mom where you just mm-hmm. it all seems so foreign and this is such a, a giant yes. transformation that I feel like we kind of focus on it with you know, baby clothes and like strollers or something like some commercial aspect, as opposed to the, you know, deep emotional transformation that has gone on that you don't quite understand in the moment that, you know, you kind of need a guide. You really do. Right. So I can imagine that it's even harder if you're blaming yourself for not having the guide and not feeling competent even i mean you're like the perfect example as someone who mm-hmm. teaches this stuff but right the embodied experience of it is different right absolutely and i didn't have you know i didn't have sisters i didn't right i didn't and i was older so all my friends that had children their kids were teenagers or adults at this point so it's yeah. just really like out of sync yeah, that's amazing. So I'm so glad you came on and shared your story. I so appreciate it. And how do people find you? Well, easily. My I have a website. It's called momswithoutamom.com. Okay. They can find me on Instagram at momswithoutamom. I'm also on TikTok and Facebook, and I'll give you all that information. Okay, and on, on my website, I have two free guides, one for moms of newborns. It's called care for yourself while you care for your baby, because as a mom without a mom, you know, self-care isn't about getting time by yourself. If you don't have anybody to watch your baby, you have to take care of yourself while your baby's there. So I have, you know, six pretty easy tips to do that. My favorite ones. Okay. Awesome. That sounds great. Well, I will definitely put that in the show notes. So thank you so much for sharing your story. You are welcome. Thank you so much, Paula. I appreciate it. Being a first-time mother is challenging in a million ways, given that every single thing changes after birth. Your body, your role, your relationship with your partner, your relationship to your work, and the world in general. It's particularly helpful to have people to consult with, and few people are as willing to field questions of any size or shape at any hour like your own mother. Melissa's message is so important to share that everyone finds this transition challenging And it's not a reflection of someone's ability to be a mother if they feel this challenge. In general, we would all be better off if there were many more sources of support for the pregnancy and postpartum periods. I'm always inspired by people who use their own experience of hardship to help with people that follow them in this transition. Thanks again to Melissa for sharing her story. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another inspiring story.